Welcome to another episode of The Coin. I'm here with a very special guest, the man, the myth, Glenn Entwistle, one of my favorite British last names. Just so like classily a name I never hear in America is the, the surname Entwistle. And today's episode, we're going to be talking about underrated Rovers players. And of course, like we do every episode, we're going to be closing it out with some cultural Q&A, just discovering a little bit about the idiosyncrasies of each other's respective cultures. So thanks for uh, listening, streaming, downloading, whatever. Glenn, how are we feeling? Good, thank you. Yes, fresh off a, a 2-0 win midweek was always good. Nice, uh, a lot more comfortable than I thought it would be going into the game. So it's, uh, yeah, keeps makes the week shorter when you win. That's always good. Oh, man, a Tuesday 2-0 home win is just beautiful. It's like wind in your sails, right? <laughs> Sends you yeah. gliding into the weekend, just happy as a friggin' clam. Uh, I couldn't agree more. So since we're both in great moods, we thought we'd uh, record a little podcast for you. So Glenn has put together 11, starting 11, of underrated Rovers players. Underrated, of course, being in the eye of the beholder. One person's definition of underrated might not be another's, but we're going off of Glenn's. Why? Because he's smart, and I really like him, and he really <laughs> knows Rovers stuff. So I, being an American fan, am always going to be less knowledgeable. And having only hopped on the Rovers train all the way back in 2003, 19 years ago, I, I won't have the same um, not breadth and depth of knowledge as Glenn. So I'm going to ask you a few questions as well, as if, you know, I was the general audience. So, Glenn, with that being said, do you want to start in the back between the posts or you want to start up top in the box? Start with the goalkeeper. I've got two names in there. So one of them you will probably remember, one of them potentially not based on your kind of timeline of things. So um, I'll start with um, John Phelan is the first one I've got in there. But he's a bit of a forgotten man, his feeling. So he, he kind of came in after the Flowers era. Uh, at a time when we had a lot of goalkeepers, we kind of had John Phelan, Alan Kelly, Alan Miller, all kind of fighting for that first spot. And then, then broke his leg, if I remember rightly. Quite a nasty break. So he only actually played kind of like 60-odd games for Rovers between like 97, 2001. But he was brilliant. He, he was great Like as a goalkeeper. No nonsense, made some great saves broke his leg and I think Friedel came in after him and there was a lot of debate around Rovers fans in terms of why why do we need Brad Friedel we've got John Field he's coming back from a leg break he's a fantastic keeper and he was kind of in that period like I say between Flowers and Friedel and uh, yeah he, for me just so underrated and, and forgotten about because he had the leg break so he never really played the amount of games that he probably should have done for us. Yeah, where did he go after Rovers? What happened to this man's career? Did it just fizzle well, out because of injuries? It, it actually didn't. So he left Rovers and went to Wigan in 2001. And this was at a time before Wigan were kind of in the Premier League. It was They were still kind of on that journey upwards. And um, he actually won Goalkeeper of the Year for them one season. And I, I'm fairly certain it may have been the same season that Friedel won Keeper of the Year in the Premier League. So there was two, at least two of our keepers that year were or former keepers were best keepers sure. in the division. So, yeah, he, he left us, went to Wigan, had kind of 180-odd appearances for them, and then uh, headed back to Sydney in 2008. But, yeah, he's a notable mention for me. And uh, I think the, the other keeper I'd mention is uh, Jason Brown, who you probably do remember, who was sort of uh, Paul Robinson's understudy. Um, he, was, he, he had the easiest job in football. He was never going to play. In fact... I don't even know how many appearances he made, but he played against Man United 
and he had a fantastic game. And uh, yeah, I think we either drew or got beat that game. But to, for a player to to never really play but come in, have that performance, and and be that good for me is a, a sign of a a good keeper. So probably not as underrated or rated, so to speak, as uh, John Phelan. But I think he's a notable mention at the other end of the scale. Hardly ever played, but when he did, he was he was up to the task. Yeah, I'm just looking right now at his senior career, and it's pronounced Gillingham, right? Is that right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Gillingham, yeah. yeah. Ooh, look at me pronouncing things right. <laughs> I swear for 20 years I called it Gillingham. Um, I only realized the ham um thing um by th- be learning through all you wonderful human beings, which is why we do this show. So, yeah, 126 appearances for Gillingham, n- only nine appearances for Rovers in five years. And then went on to barely play anywhere else, just back up, back up, couple matches for Aberdeen, some for Sutton, and then Dartford, and then back to Sutton. And played for uh, three appearances for the Wales team in the 2000s as well. Yeah. So he's a Welsh international as well. So he, he was one of those players that didn't really play for us, but would always be in those international call ups. And uh, I say he was he was probably more remembered for his time as back up to Friedel than Robinson. So that's why he never really got a game. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's. Uh, not the uh, a bit of a strange career if you look at him on Wikipedia. He kind of goes from hundred odd appearances to to nine, and then kind of fiddles out a little bit from there. But yeah, he was uh, as an understudy. You want somebody who can come in and, and do the business. Uh, Here's my dream. Here's how I daydream. I'm a dreamer. In my mind, when the World Cup approaches, Glenn, Jason Brown and Brad Friedel are they going to be texting each other when USA plays <laughs> Wales? Like I hope they are. Like, I don't want to interfere in that dynamic. It's just like fly on the wall. Part of me hopes that those two are having a great um, Great little text message. Yeah, during (laughs) during that match. Um, And we'll talk about World Cup preview stuff uh, in future episodes, too. So if you're hankering for some World Cup coverage already (laughs) mid-September, know it's coming down the pipeline. Two amazing choices. Are we going to left back next, Glenn? Yeah, traditional left back. So left back. Easy one for me. I've got Vratislav Gresko. Love Vratislav Gresko. Like, uh, he scored a goal at Ewood, turned around, and I thought he was going in the Riverside stand. He kind of ran off, arms of floor, off he goes. He um, he kind of came to us in controversial circumstances as well. So um, we got him on loan to start with, and if memory serves me right, into the land we're on to win the, the league, the Scudetto, on the last day of the season, and he was playing left-back. And he was part of some... Um, mishap that resulted in an own goal which meant Inter didn't win the league and after that point he was kind of bombed out of Inter, never played for him again, went to Palmer on sorry, moved to Palmer, didn't really get a game there and then we took him on loan from there and eventually signed him permanently but as a, it, obviously a bit of a bargain for a player who's come from Bayer Leverkusen, Inter and then to Rovers, I think at the time we were struggling for a left back and yeah he, he was fantastic for me, loved him I thought he was a great left back yeah, yeah. Czechoslovakia originally ended up uh, playing at SP Port Brodzova, um, and later in his career, closed out his career in 2015. So about a 20-year career, 95 to 2015. I love that idea of like going to get a really talented player that has just basically slipped on a banana peel. Yeah. And, like, you know, that, that kind of like they, they fell in a mud puddle. And everyone's like, ew, no. And we're like, oh, we'll clean you up and help you get back home. So really sneaky one there. Yeah, Gresco, I've seen a highlight of that goal with his arms out 
clapping. <laughs> it, it's an iconic moment for sure. Great, great dude. Great name. Solid, very big left back to six feet, you know, like not a small left back for sure. A physical presence. So who's next to him uh, in the center there? So again, I've got two in here. So I've got Craig Short, who I think is probably not underrated amongst most Rovers fans. He's a kind of a no-nonsense centre-half. was around at the club for many years, many appearances. I think we actually tried to sign him twice. So the first time he uh, he went elsewhere, and then we signed him the second time. Um, and the other player I've got in there is Kevin Moran, who is kind mm. of early Premier League days. So he was part of the side that got promoted. He'd had a fantastic career, played for Manchester United, gone abroad. Um, and I think he, he probably gets missed off in some of the recognition in terms of those early Premier League years, that that journey to the Premier League in the, the early 90s. And probably you could say the same about Craig Short for the, the second journey to the Premier League after relegation. He was part of that team that, got promoted back up under Souness. He scored the, the two goals against Burnley and the uh, the drubbing at Ewood, which always goes down well, and uh, a general leader, and he came back as a coach later. So I think Craig Short's a, a great one to have in there. And then next to them, on the kind of right-hand side of centre-half, I've got Stefan Onshaw. I think he was a bit of a Rolls-Royce when we signed him. Obviously, he went on to Liverpool, so that they must have rated him at the time, and, and he eventually came back later in his career. But he was a solid 7 out of 10 every week. Nothing special, but calm on the ball, just a good defender. And the, the player I'm torn with for him is Zurab Kizadishvili, who probably yeah. won't make many people's Rovers 11s unless it's long or stupid names. But um, he, we bought him. Well, he came in on loan, I think, at first. We signed Amoruso from Rangers in like the, the early 2000s. And yeah. Rangers replaced Amoruso with Kizadishvili. We then... Fell out of favour with Amoruso and replaced Amoruso with Kizanishvili for Rangers. And uh, again, he, he could play right back, he could play centre half, and just no frills, but got the job done. Had a cracking kind of bold patch emerging from the top of his head from the day we signed him. And um, back in the day, uh, the company my mum used to work for used to sponsor a player every season. I think it was one of her suppliers sponsored a player. So one season they sponsored Kizanishvili. I got to go down and meet him before the game and stuff. So nice. So, yeah, yeah. A, a Georgian footballer in the top flight was a big deal for that country. I've talked yeah. to a couple of fans, Georgian Georgian patriots and people who who love Rovers to this day because of because our of connection to Zurab Kishnishvili. That was actually, you know, I don't have the depth of knowledge, so my roster was a lot thinner than yours. But <laughs> he was on my list as underrated guys. I really, I really liked him too. And all these players have one thing in common, Craig Short, Kevin Rand, business feelings, Stefan, um, you know, hardworking guys, right? Yeah. Like representing what Lancashire and Rovers are truly about. And I think that's like that connection and that underratedness probably stems from that. But yeah, excellent choices. Craig Short, it, you know, only had four goals for Rovers and two versus Burnley in 134 <laughs> appearances. That's like, that's the exact dream stat line I want, you know, in yeah. my career. Four goals, but all of them versus Burnley. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would Definitely. be So that is a no-nonsense. Not the fastest or the most athletic, but that era didn't have fast athletic attacking yeah. wingbacks or, or, you know, fullbacks. It just was not part of the era. So... These guys, certainly a solid defensive back line there, not going to concede a lot. What's going to happen in our midfield? Is it, It's going to be a creative midfield, a controlling midfield. Who do we have in the underrated Rovers midfield? Um, I think it's the word I'm after. Combative midfield, kind of uh, a war of attrition would be uh, 
liked by this midfield. So on the left ring, and I've kind of squeezed him in here. I've got Stephen Reed. Yeah, so he kind of he got kind of besieged by injuries really at Rovers. He played five, six, seven games, and he'd be out. He'd, he'd pull muscle or something. But there was something about Stephen Reed where if there was a a fifty fifty. He'd make it a 30-70 so he could fly in for the tackle. His first touch would be bad on purpose so he could fly into the tackle. And he scored some screamers. The goal at Wigan, I think we we never really saw the best of him because of his injuries. But uh, yeah, always rated him again 100%. Could do a job in midfield, could play right back. Yeah, good for me. I'd have him in there. Yeah, he could play anywhere. And I, for me, that Wigan goal is my second favorite Rovers goal behind the Benny McCarthy FA Cup Arsenal goal, awesome. which I saw live by myself. Yeah. I was yelling in my living room. <laughs> had two pet ferrets at the time and a wife that we were never in the same room. We got married too quickly, moved across the country too quickly, and then had a pretty miserable relationship. So Rovers were my solace during my Boston days. This is when I lived in Boston, Massachusetts in a a little apartment above a, an Irish bar called the common ground, which is still there. For those of you who are ever traveling to Boston, go to the common ground, get a pub, there's steak tips or dynamite or were 15 years ago, I should say. <laughs> but um, yeah, reads that, that howitzer versus Wigan is it hurts to watch. Like you feel it's like when you watch someone get kicked in the groin, it's like the yeah. same reaction when I see that net take the, take the full power of that ball. So, Reed, an interesting choice at left side. He's going to want to invert a little bit, come inside a little. Uh, definitely an old-school rough-and-tumble player. Love it. He was always great in FIFA because he was not hurt in FIFA. So, yeah. you, he was a great sneaky player to have. Who's in the middle of this uh, 4-4-2? So, I've got kind of, sort of four options for two places, really. So, I've got Gary Flickroft. Again, I don't think Rovers fans would underrate him, but I think other fans would. And I think I probably didn't appreciate him at the time, how how kind of good he was at just keeping things ticking over, but almost a bit of an enforcer as well. And also as a captain in terms of getting us back promoted, it's not easy task to be Graham Sooners. He's captain on the pitch and actually delivers stuff. So I think Gary Flickcroft deserves a mention. And I've also got Lee Carsley in there. The mm. Lee Carsley kind of signed for us whoa, way back in kind of 1999. And he was part of that sort of, first season down in the championship or first division as it was called then um he scored a lot of goals for us a lot of that was because he was a penalty taker but i think without his goals we would have really struggled and again he was captain he was a good player when he played he was yeah i think Cardsley's worth a notable mention i think he he often gets forgotten about by rovers fans but um yeah joined us. Deep cuts deep cuts <laughs> i'm loving them <laughs> so uh, if you look at his uh, wikipedia page it starts with Cosley joined Premier League strugglers Blackburn Rovers. So there you go. He came in at a poor time and uh, he played a more advanced role than the Brian Kidd and uh, topped the scoring top the charts with 11 goals from centre midfield as we finished mm. 11. He then fell out with Sooness and that's why he kind of disappeared off and we, we didn't see him again. He went off to, um, I feel like he went to Birmingham, was it? Coventry, in the Birmingham oh. area. Uh, yeah. yeah. But again, it was good for that one season. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes that's what you want is just a magical season from one player and that can push you over. Um, I'll tell you, Coventry probably would take them right now on their roster. Yes. They are struggling to get a win. I have no ill will toward Cub. There's championship teams I genuinely dislike. And weirdly enough, Coventry is not one of them for me. And uh, I used to live off a street called Coventry. Yeah. And the neighborhood was just referred to as Coventry. 
So if you're going there, you're going to Coventry, Coventry. right? Very much like old school European vibes. And there's really great, it's still an iconic music venue there called the Grog Shop, which if anyone's ever in Cleveland, you can see amazing shows at the Grog Shop. It's an historic like divey punk bar kind of uh, music venue. So I, that's why I think I have like a soft spot in my heart for Coventry. <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah, right. And right now they need to win. So maybe they'll, they'll bring them back. So yeah. some firepower in midfield, some guys that could certainly, uh, certainly score and hold the ball, a nice balance, right winger. Well, my other central midfielder, before I oh, yes, the right yeah. wing, I've kind of, I've torn again between two and I don't think you could get two more opposite types of players. So Stephen Unzonzi is the first name. I think he came in under Allardyce. He didn't speak English, and he was—he looked kind of a bit lethargic, not lazy, but kind of lackadaisical. The way he ran, right? Like, yeah. his, and his body structure too—he kind of had like that lanky, exactly. not graceful yeah. thing to him. But, but he—he he was brilliant. I think he won Player of the Season in his like fans Player of the Season in his first season, and he must have been twenty at the oldest. He wasn't very old. And he was great for us for a number of seasons. And it's kind of a sign of how good he was, what what he went on to do and who he went to play for. Went to Sevilla, won Europa Leagues with them. I think he did he end up at Atletico Madrid for a bit as well. Always rated on Zonzi. I think uh, when he left, that was kind of a, a big sign of the times kind of changing and we're, we're not looking at the same calibre of players. So, but yeah, he, he left Rovers, went to Stoke. We'll not talk about that. Um, then he went to Sevilla, Roma, Galatasaray, Ren. And it looks as though he's somewhere out in the Middle East at the minute. So, yeah, in Qatar. So, uh, he's still playing, still still bringing in the dollar. And um, and the player I'd kind of, I'd probably plump for in midfield, he's probably my first choice, would be Mark Atkins. Super at core. Is, uh, I was reading uh, any Rovers fans that read 4,000 holes. There's an article with uh, Chris Sutton in this edition. And he talks about how nobody in Blackburn thought Mark Atkins was kind of underrated because everybody rated him. But outside of Blackburn, people didn't know who he was, what he was about. And if it hadn't been for, I think, he either got injured or he got replaced by Batty, we'd have won the title weeks before we did. He was like, he could finish. He, I think he was, he could play right back, centre midfield, just a, a fantastic player. So, uh, yeah, Super Atco needs a mention. I, I think that I would almost plug him into the starting lineup. Like, that's yeah. such a good one. Honestly, for those reasons, you know, everybody, I think even casual Premier League fans know that. Rovers won in 95 on the last day, but you're right with Atco. That's not the race is not yeah. the race that it ended up being. It was that <laughs> it was that important of a player. So that's an absolute great one. I love it. So we've got some firepower, some depth in the midfield, right wing, continue. Right wing, yeah. So again, I'm kind of I'm gonna go Brett Emerton, who again it depends how you're ranking him, because if you're gonna compare him to his debut you're always going to say he was overrated because his debut was just phenomenal. There's kind of probably three players now that I would say have had debuts where I've thought, wow, this is a player. Emerton is probably the four. I'll put Shearer in there. Obviously, Shearer's got to be in there. Sure, but sure, sure. Emerton against Wolves at home was unplayable. I remember at the time thinking, imagine if we had Damien Duff on the other wing now as well because we just sold Duff. He was kind of, mm. this would be phenomenal. He was fantastic, but he never really got back to how good he was on his debut. Um, the third player would be Phil Jones. Phil Jones against Chelsea on his debut was ridiculous. He might did he a drug bar out the game and then at corners said, you know what, I'll pick up John Terry. That's fine. I'm only 18, 19. I can manage this. And the fourth one's probably two weeks ago, Adam Wharton against uh, Blackpool was kind of 
sit up, have a look at this and think, all right, so he's a local lad. He's he's just signed a new contract for us. This is massive. But um, in terms of Brett Emerton, um, bit of history to him. I always signed him on champ manager before he signed for Rovers. So yes. anybody that's played champ manager, 2001, I think it was, AC Milan squad, he'd plug into that right side either as a wing back or a right midfielder. And he was phenomenal for me. And Rovers were linked with him. I was like, we are going places. If we're linked with the likes of Brett Emerton, this is... I'm, I'm happy with this. And then he came, he had the fantastic debut. And then he almost, we almost didn't know where to play him because he never really got back to those heights. I think in the end, he, he was probably a better right back for us than a right midfielder because there wasn't that pressure to to repeat what he'd done against Wolves. But in terms of a club servant as well, he was with us for how many years? A, a fair amount of time. He played at the World Cup with uh, Australia while he was with us. Um, yeah, but yeah, a mainstay, a mainstay for Australia. Definitely not yeah. underrated in Australia either. And, you know, again, if a, a dreamer could dream, I would ask Brett Emerton point blank, like, was it ever in your head because of how amazing that match was? Mm -hmm. Like, did you feel an internal pressure to try and match that every week? And was that something that was a challenge for you? Right. Like, I would I, I think that would be like one of those great you know, if you had a wish, I, I would love that answer from Emerton because I, I feel like I would have put that pressure on myself as a human being. Right. All these players yeah. are humans first. So but yeah, Emerton, it, it, lightning in a bottle version. Boy, there was nobody who could stop him that day. No, not a defender on the planet who could have stopped Emerton that day. Um, So so, man, a lot going on there. Is there going to be some hold up play up top? What kind of strikers could possibly <laughs> be heading this formation i'm very excited to hear well i hadn't originally put this guy in and this guy is gonna basically you got rovers fans listen to this are probably gonna rip their headphones out in a second but i'm gonna throw the option of chris brown in there chris brown is a uh, much maligned in blackburn former rovers player i actually think we didn't buy him to score 30 goals a season we bought him to do the hold-up play, to win the headers, to do the flick-ons, to do the Danny Graham before Danny Graham came. But he will always be seen as, however many appearances as a striker, zero goals. But I think that's a harsh judgment of him. I think, did he come in after Rhodes had gone? He's not going to be Jordan Rhodes. He's going to be different. And he was at a stage where we were having just like an endless conveyor belt of Simeon Jackson, Luke Varney, DJ Campbell, or here's Chris Brown. And I think he's kind of harshly criticised. I don't think he was ever that bad in a Rovers shirt. I just don't think we ever kind of played to his strengths, maybe. Um, again, I listened to a podcast that he does at the minute, and uh, he doesn't shy away from the fact that he gets quite a lot of stick from Rovers fans, and he didn't score a goal and probably deserves it, but I think he was a bit harshly treated. So, he'd be my kind of curveball. The two I've actually gone for, Mike Newell. Mike Newell kind of came in. We were still in kind of the the old first division, or it would have been second division then when he came right. in. Spent quite a bit of money on him. One of the reasons we got promoted, he obviously um, he win the penalty, scored the penalty at Wembley. <clears throat> Remembering back now, many moons ago. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, Mike Newell um, and then that kind of partnership before and with Shearer before Sutton came along. It was, uh, yeah, one of my first kind of, and, and the guy I'm going to put next to him as well, he's one of my first heroes for Rovers as well. So um, yeah, I'm guessing who that is. Uh, man, one of your heroes. Well, Newell had 28 goals and 138 appearances, so that is pretty impressive. Let's see, childhood hero for you. Oh, man. 
I couldn't even wager to guess. I'm very excited to hear because this is the last name. So this is this is perfect. So Glenn's childhood hero. Up one of one of yeah. <laughs> one of. Let's just call him the hero. Now now I'm just changing. I'm just hijacking your narrative. Glenn's favorite player of all time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, put a bit of a positive spin on that. That's kind of uh, yeah. So it's David Speedy, like yes. as a what he signed for Rovers in nineteen ninety one. That promotion season, he came from Liverpool as like I'd have been five at the time, and suddenly you've got this little balding guy who's running around, he's terrorizing defenders, running off with his hand in the air. You can scream Speedy at him, and he was. One of the, along with Newell, one of the main reasons we, we got out of the second division and into the Premier League for the first season. Um, just, yeah, scored a great goals, scored a lot of goals in that season. So 23 goals in 36 appearances, better than one every two games. You can't argue with that. That is, those are juicy stats. I love following Speedy on Twitter. And I've always loved, and you know, like, not, not saying Tyree Stolen's the same type of player. But there's just something I don't even know, like, you know, just intoxicating about a young, like a small, diminutive, yes. fiery person, you know, that just does not give up. Doesn't look like they should be where they're at in their career. Doesn't look like they should be able to do the things they're doing. And yet there they are defying expectations in the old American basketball NBA uh, 80s, 90s, there was a player called Muggsy Bogues. Do you know anything mm -hmm. about Muggsy Bogues? I don't know. Nothing at all. <laughs> so you know basketball, very tall men, right? Mm -hmm. 80s, 90s, the eras of the big men, the centers. So much like the era of the Prem was the midfielders, right? This was the era of big guys dominating the game. Muggsy Bogues was five foot two. <laughs> and could dunk in basketball in basketball maybe he was five four but he was that small and that guy played in the highest tier of basketball when he was giving up a full foot and a half to everyone else so david speedy for those of you who are in the weird venn diagram of basketball and rovers <laughs> speedy is like my you know like the, the the version of mugsy bogues that the rovers had so i love speedy i love that that was your choice and and it really helps balance with Newell and Brown, who are six footers, who like to big who are tall, big and small. That's it. Yeah, yeah, the big small combo, like the old who who played next to Peter Crouch. Was it Jermaine Defoe all those years? Yeah, you got Crouch and Defoe, and probably Quinn and Phillips is probably the big one from kind of Sunderland back in the day. Quinn yeah. was like six foot whatever, and Phillips five yeah. ten, five eleven. But yeah, yeah. I, I love those combos. I love seeing like super tall guy, super <laughs> short guy play. That's where like, if anyone's like wax is poetic about loving the previous eras of football, it's where I would agree with them. You know, there was just more flair and more personality to players. Yeah. And you just had a wonkiness. Everybody looks the same almost now, you know, like the size, the way they cut inside. It, it definitely feels like there's a homogenization happening. And that era for those players, just magical stuff. If you want to go back to probably a slightly earlier era who anybody wants to see somebody who just would not fit in the modern game but was fantastic, have a look at Mickey Quinn. He's kind of uh, played for Coventry at Newcastle. He's kind of this portly striker. He's probably the best way to put it. He's got this thick moustache and he's just like goals scored. There's a, there's a great clip of uh, a fan ringing in when he's on TalkSport once and he just bursts into tears. You scored so many goals. 
some bursting into tears talking to Mickey Quinn. And then, uh, yeah, if you give him a Google, you'll see what I mean. <laughs> I, I am right now silently watching a clip. This guy, I love, he's built like a little refrigerator. Yeah. <laughs> I also see this. He scored so many goals, fan. I'm going to bookmark that. (laughs) Everybody else, uh, you know, this is what you could do. There's the interactive element of this podcast is right after it. Go and watch a few Mickey Quinn, a few David Speedy highlights. (laughs) And, um, you know, the like. And we'll post this on our um, Twitter at the Coin Foot Show. That's at the Coin Foot Show. And and we'll put the list of players, too. I think that would be a fun thing to do. So look for that. That is a juicy lineup. That is deep cut stuff too. You know, like you went a tier above where I think you'd go, Glenn. Not surprised <laughs> at all, with the, knowing knowing you. But I think fans of Rovers are really going to appreciate some of those names you drop. Um, so there, there's Glenn's underrated starting eleven. If you'd like to leave a comment or interact with us in some way. Um, and let us know what you thought or, or uh, one player that really meant something special to you that you thought was underrated outside of the world of Rovers. Let us know. Let Glenn know, too. Uh, he's a stand-up guy in that way. Glenn, we're going to close the show by talking about a little bit of culture. We we talked about a little NBA football culture just a few minutes ago. But with every show, no matter who the guest is, I ask them a question I've kind of always wanted to know or been thinking about. And then they can ask me one. And because we're here in our nice little bubble and we know each other, we know what our intentions are, which are good and just general curiosity. And nobody is going to ever be toxic on here. And it's nice. Instead of asking Twitter where you're just going to get traumatized, you just get to ask me. So I'm representing all of America. Glenn's representing all of England. And my first question to you may be somewhat controversial, but, you know, the queen just passed away recently and obviously it's 2022. So everybody has to argue over everything at all times, no matter what it is. And there was some turbulence about the queen and everything going on. Glenn, did you feel like going to the games and honoring the queen would have been a better call than canceling all of them? Where do you stand on that particular part of it? It's a tough one. I mean, I'm, I'll caveat anything I say with I'm neither massively pro nor massively against the monarchy. It's just there. I'm middle of the road. Happy for them to get on with stuff. I think they bring a lot of money in for the economy. They have a morale-boosting function. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go either end of the scale. I'm very much on that fence. But um, I don't know. I've kind of toyed with this in my head quite a bit since kind of the announced that it wasn't going to be on. First of all, it was... Thursday, late Thursday, the news came out that the, the Queen had died. So it wasn't the first thought, wasn't, oh, what about Wigan Saturday? And then he kind of thought, oh, well, I wonder. The first thought was, yeah, it could be Wigan Saturday, actually. And then what's that going to be like, given kind of it's a derby, is a minute silence going to be well observed, that kind of thing. But you kind of also got to look back and say, this is unprecedented. The Queen has been in that position for 70 odd years. 70 odd years ago, Football was a lot different to what it is now. Social media didn't exist. You didn't have the kind of... We hadn't even had hooliganism by then. So there was no kind of... It was a, a gentleman's sport, so to speak. Um, so I think it, it's it w- it's quite selfish looking back to look at it and say, oh, I can't believe we're cancelling the football over this. It's an unprecedented thing. It's, it's not happened in our lifetimes. Like, the vast majority of this country have known one queen, and, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And I think you got to kind of take that into account. I think where it gets a little bit iffy is the fact that it wasn't sport across the board. It was 
we'll leave it up to you to make the decision. And then whichever way you go, you're going to lose. Some people are going to agree. Some people are going to disagree. What right. I could see the benefits of having the games. And if you could guarantee that properly observed minute silence, the properly observed national anthem, yes, absolutely. But football fans can be idiots. And <laughs> it only takes a few shandies. And all of a sudden you've got ooh, a bit of argument in the pub turns into I'm not observing the minute silence, that kind of thing. Um, that said... Don't think grassroots football down to under nines level should have been cancelled at the weekend. The fact that yeah. little kid can't go play football with his friends because of this to me seems a little bit kind of overboard. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of the Queen, uh, even as a, a, a great Brit, a resident of Great Britain and a subject of the Queen, um, most of my knowledge comes from the crowd. And stuff that I remember from the press. So <laughs> yeah. I think in, in terms of that as, as a historical piece, I think you can't question she's devoted her life to the country in terms of um, how young she was when she kind of ascended to the throne, all the things she's done. Exactly. Did what I would have been like at that age in that role is oh, just God. ridiculous. Yeah. And, uh, the country would have been on fire if you put me in charge. <laughs> or you just put me as the mascot at 25, you know? Yeah, I think that that that's a key part of it is the the idea of that. And you know, I just watched the um, Prince William's interview about mental health that he did. They did that thing like a year ago, and I had never heard about it. But he talks very openly about Meghan Markle, you know, having suicidal thoughts and like feeling trapped. And like, wait a minute, what do you mean I have to put this banquet appearance over the mental health yeah. of my wife, the mother of my child? Like, this is not right. And I'll tell you, I've never seen a person of royalty, I don't think in any culture or nation, speak that honestly mm. about mental health and what they needed to do for their family. And like, I just found such a real level of like fatherly respect for yeah. that guy, right? Because that's like the fatherly thing to do. That's the husbandly thing to do. And I feel like he put those things above his title in that yeah. moment. And I think that's incredible. And you kind of have to also say, like, part of that's the queen. You know, like, he's, yeah. you know, he raised around her. And, I, you know, I wonder how much of that was, like, watching her and her influence and stuff like that. Who knows, you know, like, what she said about it. I don't want to maybe get into all that. But certainly some revealing stuff in the last couple of weeks. I, I've mm -hmm. become enamored with that world a little bit more than I did. So I wanted to just get your opinion about it a little bit. <laughs> I think as well, just to, to kind of finish on that, I am a little bit shocked of shocked at how the nation has kind of responded in terms of the the queuing to go see the coffin, sign the books of condolence, the kind of reaction to it. I think we live in an age where you kind of you only hear the bad stuff for people that are against it because people that criticize have the loudest voice, especially on social yes. media. So I think yeah. to actually see the amount of support um is I'm a bit surprised. Positively surprised to be to be fair to say I'm I'm neither pro or against, but I think for that many people to kind of be, you know what, no, we're having Monday off. It is a national day of mourning. We are gonna have a minute silence, we are gonna queue and sign the book and stuff. I think that's that's something we should kind of be proud of in this day and age, considering how old the monarchy is and things. Yeah, and I think those type of traditions don't aren't correlated with like a lot of negative stuff. That's just mm. like tradition in the purest sense of the word. And I'm a fan of some traditions and stuff like that kind of appeals to me more. Part of that, I bet, 
I bet. And this is like typical American thinking he knows everything. I'm not Todd Bowley talking about doing an all-star <laughs> game. I'm, I'm talking about human nature. And the queen, I think, represented an era and, and a kind of a world that does not exist anymore. And so the death of her was very much like you're losing your connection. One of the key connective channels to that world that we all are nostalgic for, because nostalgia is powerful no matter what culture you're in. It's a human condition thing, right? Across all cultures and boundaries. So I think losing her was losing connective tissue to that world. And that idea of mourning that also is, I, I can relate to that very much so. Thank you so much for answering that. I hope everybody, nobody really found that somehow offensive. I mean, it's 2022. Maybe somebody somehow got offended by that, but I sure should hope not. What do you got for me? Ooh, I'm excited to hear. We have no king. We have no queen. What could you possibly? <laughs> um, I could have gone completely off on a different angle of this. And um, I, as well as being a big fan of football and Rovers, obviously, uh, I'm a massive fan of American football, the NFL. And uh, we watch it every kind of Sunday. We, we stay up all kind of starts at six. We'll watch it through till sometimes one, sometimes four in the morning, depending who's on. Um, and so what I notice is you don't have a home and an away section. So you will often see fans interjected. You'll have a home fan away fan, home fan away fan. But there never seems to be any kind of trouble. I know if we had that over here in terms of like, even not even like a local rivalry, let's say it's Rovers Luton on Saturday, you wouldn't see... Rovers fans and Luton fans sat next to each other in the stadium. So I suppose my question is, are we getting a true representation of that? Is there no trouble? And if so, why not? And why do we struggle so much? Yeah, that's a phenomenal question. Um, I'll try and answer it with some level of brevity. One, I think there's never been a history of that type of segregation at sporting events. We all know America had a completely different type of segregation going on back in the day, right? When you're talking about Black Americans and stuff like that and African Americans. So that's a whole nother form of segregation. In terms of fan segregation, that was never a thing that I don't think ever happened in baseball, football, anything. So I think that's part of it. It's just it was not established anywhere else. And football, unlike soccer which i'm sorry i'm just gonna have to call it that for from my perspective does not have the same rich history and because the clubs are you know aren't because football teams are big teams in big markets in big cities the the same level of like sense of community right is not there so because there's local clubs and clubs are right down the street and one club represents one part of town and another the other and you just go to that other side of town if there were two NFL teams in the same medium to small size city with two stadiums a couple a mile away, yes, I think you would almost assuredly see more of it. So part of it's geographical. Uh, the other part, I think, is there's plenty of fighting that goes on in parking lots before and after matches. <laughs> we just don't see it. That's the difference. <laughs> yeah, it, and it, but it's not coordinated either, right? It's not like a horde of guys all get together, like, let's go look for these other guys. But, you know, being a Cleveland Browns fan for a long time, you, you used to have season tickets. I, I've seen some horribly depressing and also ridiculously violent things occur mm. between fans. But a lot of it's just more general shit talking. You know, Americans, we love talking shit. Um, Frustrations so, as well, isn't it? Especially if the team's struggling. You, we've had it at Ewood where you yeah. have fans, stop, stop having a go at him. How's he going to know he's having a bad game? And it, you kind of get fractious between yourselves, don't you? It's 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So one, t- I'll tell you this story. We'll close it with this. One time I went to a Browns game in the dead of winter, brutally cold. You know, it was a cold Ohio winter, um, snow, sleet, just completely gray, almost ash like overcast, you know, like no hope of sun, no reprieve from the wind because we're right on the lake. Lake Erie's a big freshwater lake. So there's constantly wind, right? A constant breeze, just like on, I'm sure, the shores of of England, right? If you go to certain towns in England, the same thing. There's just always wind. Yeah. Um, and I left early because we were getting humiliated by myself. I'm like, I'm just going to go home. I was basically sober again anyway. So what, you know, and I'm walking through the parking lot where everyone was partying before. And it's a huge, big stretch. People have RVs and all these big camps and trailers. They set up like grills, DJ booths. You know, they're jumping off the tops of cars onto tables, like any mayhem you can imagine. So imagine that whole place being abandoned by 20,000 people. And all you're left with is a sea of plastic cups and garbage. And, you know, there's homeless men going through picking out all the cans, you know, like an ecosystem almost where like the bottom feeders feed on the carcass of the whale. Right. And I'm walking and I see pushing up against each other and scrumming are two men against an RV, which is like a camper. You know what that is. And they're literally just punching and fighting each other. They look drunk. They look tired. And I'm the only other human being around and i'm like 50 feet away and i'll never get the image out of my mind of these two sad confused they probably didn't even know why they were fighting each other and it was such a tired pathetic fight like there was no energy in the swings they were missing each other they're basically holding each other up and it's just these two fans and they're both browns fans (laughs) it's two fans in the same team fighting each other in the dead of winter in a disgusting parking lot with nobody around. And that image (laughs) has never left my friggin' brain. So I, you know, while I can't give you a full answer, I wanted to give you that mental anecdote. (laughs) A dystopian future of the Browns with people fighting amongst themselves. (laughs) You know what too, that might've been the season we went 0 and 16. So yeah, that, you know, it was it was during that run of the Hugh Jackson era, which we went three and thirty three under yeah. a head coach. Imagine a three and thirty three record in, in Brown, right? Like that, you would be insane to keep that coach on. And we did. We kept him on for basically, you know, three yeah. two and a half full years. So and we will actually we're going to do a full episode on US UK rivalries. Right. And like what it's like on match day specifically. Right. Because you're or as maybe American viewers have just learned, there is a level of segregation of the fans and in, in terms of how they get bust in and all that. I only learned about this recently. I in my naivety, Glenn, I never knew any of that. So I'm so excited to learn more about the match day experience for a derby slash rivalry. And I'll share, you know, some some stories here, too. So look, everybody look forward for that episode. Um, lots of great episodes with lots of different topics coming down the pipeline. Glenn, do you have anything to close us out today? Any final Ooh. thoughts? I was going to give you a little uh, sneak preview of the rivalries episode if you want. So, uh, sure. yeah, and- let's let's give the books a taste because so, I might not be here for the rivalries episode. Just probably my the, the Rovers Burnley rivalry is ridiculous. Like I'll leave that for somebody else to go into. But Millwall is has got a bit of a reputation. In England, it's a historical one from the 70s, 80s, kind of carried on through. They got the dead. It's a kind of 
not a nice place to go as an away fan and I think as an away player. But I went for a cup game once. This was way back. I'd have been like maybe 16, 17. And we okay. went on the, the kind of supporters bus. And you think usually you park in the car park, you get out the bus, you walk into the stand, you sit in your seat at the front, you watch the game. At Millwall, you got bussed in through a set of like high fencing for like a good few hundred yards. So like you're literally in a tunnel of fencing, bussed in under the stadium. So like you have with the teams arriving in the American football in the stadium, you got let off, you went straight into the ground, you weren't allowed to go to the pub or anything like that. And you went to your seat and you imagine like the Blackburn end, you've got the whole width of the stand. The fans are literally as close to the middle as possible, or far away from the other stands. And like in terms of atmosphere, it was kind of pretty intimidating. And then, uh, but what I will say is, we came out the game. I think we won that day, cup game. We got back on the coach, and the catering staff brought a massive box of pies and went, "We didn't sell these. Do you want them? You can have them for free." So I've always had a good <laughs> memory of Millwall from the pies, but. Yeah, I know some people have been to Millwall. Like my my dad went like in the the seventies, eighties, and he and that was when you didn't sit with your fans. You could sit wherever you wanted, and he was like, he, he spoke to a lad and said, "We're my best to sit as an away fan." And the, the, the lad went, "Doesn't matter where you sit, somebody'll get you if you're an away fan." And and that's kind of like what football was like. So as a preview, that's not even a rivalry. That's just a vicious away game that is one off the bucket list, but I won't be going back. Yeah, the territoriality of fans is a fascinating topic, and mm -hmm. I'm really excited to delve into it. Glenn, man, thanks so much for your time. Glenn will be back on here, y'all. You could follow him. Glenn, what's your Twitter handle? Hey, it's just at Glenn and Twistle, two ends in Glenn, and just all one word. But yeah, awesome. thank you for having me. Really enjoyed kind of going back through some underrated players and uh, the chat about uh, NFL and, and the Queen, God rest his soul. So thank you very yeah. much for having me. Yeah, Glenn, more chats coming with us, no doubt at all. And I'm at, at CLE underscore Jared. So give us a follow, interact with us. If you liked it, if you didn't like it, talk shite. We don't care. Whatever you want to do. But go forth, everyone. Enjoy your lives and try to uh, find peace where you can. And we'll see all of y'all in the next episode. Thanks.